Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and Dan, there's a hundred thousand scumbags in this world. You can't <laughs> expect me to keep track of all of them. You know what? I think there are more than a hundred thousand scumbags. I'm just going to go. It's on a record. low. It's a. It's it, a. It's a low number. I think Statham's being optimistic when he says that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and Anna, let's not overstate how far I've gotten in life. <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of philanthrocapitalism and endogenous growth. Today, we'll be talking about Meg 2, The Trench. Ooh, Ada, not the most exciting, <laughs> like, you know, subtitle, right? Like, like after the colon, you know, yeah. I, I'm not thinking that's really like, yeah. I was trying to think of other kind of minor landmarks that <laughs> okay. you could put after All that. Right, what, have, what have you got? Tell me, tell me. Do you have anything? The, the mound. Meg 2, the mound. Meg okay. to the mound. Meg Meg to the gully. I like that. Thank you. I like that actually. Uh, in the next few weeks, oh, actually, I should say it is in theaters. Meg two is in theaters. Yeah. It is in which theaters, which still feels novel to me. So I confess, I've you know post Barbenheimer, this was a little more normal for me. You know, because yeah. Barbenheimer, both times, both both movies were actually like reasonably full and i've gone to movies that were pretty full before like when i went to the original batman the the not the original batman what am i saying <laughs> the pattinson batman that was right, actually right. a packed theater that might have been the first time i was like weirded out in a theater post-covid this was a little more normal this was one of the most full that i've okay. been in yeah i'm gonna go see barbie on tuesday with my adult children of alcoholics group which mm. sounds like a build-up to a joke but that's just what we're doing <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> In the next few weeks, we'll be doing a summer wrap up and and then Rebecca Roanhorse's Black Sun. We have lots of ideas, but you can always make a suggestion. We'll give you some tips on how you might do that Mm -hmm. at the end of our program. Yes. Uh, Dan, how are you? I'm doing okay. I've started physical therapy. Uh, (gasps) Yeah, I have a uh, I have tendonitis in my right Achilles tendon, um, which has been sort of slowly developing. And, uh, you know, it's not too bad, but a couple weekends ago, I played pickleball for the first time <laughs> and not going to do that again for a while. Cause I was in agony for like the next 12 hours. It was bad. To summarize. Yes. To summarize. Therapy. Yeah. Because you're old. Basically. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How are right. you, Anna? I'm, I'm doing okay. It's still fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And it's so hot. I think that's all I can say about how I'm doing. Okay. Like, just all you need to know. It's going to be 106 today. Wow. So okay. Yeah. It's hot. That's hot. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, it's not the Meg too. See, I keep on screwing that up because yes. it was the Meg. You're right. And and that's the source of your confusion. The original film was called The Meg. The sequel right. is called Meg 2 The Trench. Right. Because that would be too many these. The yeah. Meg The Trench. Yes. Right. It's they, a big dumb shark movie, <laughs> yeah. Dan. What were you gonna say? I, I was just thinking, why wasn't it Meg? You know, the Meg Two Trench Warfare, because that would have been <laughs> that actually would have been accurate in terms of what this film is. So you know, I'm just I'm just saying it, it would have sounded more interesting and not just <laughs> yes, not just like, a trench, not just like a not just like a landscaper, you know, you giving know, an estimate. I confess, I am legit <laughs> curious, like what the marketing people said of like, oh yeah, trench is like when we say trench, you know, the average moviegoer is like totally excited by that. 
I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure the research was completely like you know above board on this. That's all. I'm Meg too digging a hole. Yes, but you're right. <laughs> it is. If it's August, it means it's big dumb shark movie time. And yeah. you know, also, I think we were curious about this because there was this question of evolution. Really, can the makers of a franchise learn from the mistakes they make in their Kind of mediocre iteration of the first film, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Can they make a less mediocre film? Yes. I think the answer is yes, Dan. I think they we agree. Make a slightly less mediocre. Right. Film. That actually, <laughs> once again, Anna, you have like you know that's the poster quote for you. <laughs> <laughs> Go see Meg Two: The Trench, a slightly less mediocre film. Says Anna Marie Cox. I mean, it's enjoyable, especially if you see it in a theater mm-hmm. with an enormous pub of popcorn. Yeah. Is, which is what I did. Good. But this actually brings us to the next question, which is, will this podcast ruin it for you? Should you should you turn off this podcast right away and go watch it right now Yeah, if you truly want to enjoy it? So, Anna, the thing about big, dumb shark movies is that you can't really ruin them by listening to a podcast. You can only be occasionally bored by them, maybe. I mean, we, I hope we don't bore you with this podcast. And I, the movie <laughs> might bore you a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Like, there are some slow patches. But... Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's some slow patches. And some of the hand-waving. Yeah. Oh, is. the hand-waving is just... Well, but that's that's part of the... The hand-waving for me is part of the fun, in the sense it, of, it, like... It, sometimes I feel like they do too much. Yeah, like, it's yeah. like, go ahead. All right, this is fantasy. Just, just... Right. In other words, you wish what they were doing was like two or three hand waves when instead what they're really doing are like jazz hands. They're doing like the way. Yes, the like way. In exactly. the stadium. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And I would say if you like big, dumb shark movies, you will like this big, dumb shark movie. You mean BDSM? You That's BDSM, right? <laughs> the, the, if you like BDSM. <laughs> wow. Two quotes for the poster, Anna. This is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> this is legit impressive from you. Yes. This, this podcast will not stop you yeah. from liking BDSM. We don't yeah. want to kink shame. Basically. No, God, no, no. But I think it's safe to say I, neither of us thinks this was a great movie, but I think we enjoyed it a little more than like some of the critics did. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I think that that is true. Yeah. All right, Anna, let's get to the story behind the story. We know from our discussion of the making of the first Meg that these films are unusual and that the first one was a Chinese American co-production. And I'm actually kind of surprised because given where Sino-American relations have gone in the last five years since the previous movie, hint, not well, is the answer. (laughs) I am mildly surprised they actually made a sequel. So how did this happen? Are you asking, is there IR in the making of this movie? I, we agreed that in, there was definitely IR in the making of the first one. I'm, yeah. I'm actually kind of curious if there was more delicate IR in, in the making of the second one. In some one. ways, there might be less IR. So oh, okay. in in the uh, first movie, mm-hmm. we knew it was tailored to a global audience. Mm-hmm. That was the sort of most obvious thing about it mm-hmm. that made it something new and different. It also, well, interestingly not to get too in the weeds, but it was deemed a, at least enough of a Chinese film last time that they didn't have to pay certain fees and stuff, which I guess is. Well, more importantly, Hollywood didn't like the, the Warner's brothers, which I don't, I think is responsible for the movie. Didn't have yeah. to apply for foreign language distribution within China because it was right. co-produced by a Chinese company that automatically got aired there. There were like other any other things that made it easier, like yeah. just logistically. Yeah, exactly. Well, this time mm-hmm. it is a Chinese production. Oh, totally. Chi- oh, interesting. Okay. Well, 
So the rule of thumb, this is from uh, the president of the Chinese studio. Mm -hmm. The rule of thumb criteria for an official Chinese co-production is that a third of the financing, a third of the production, and a third of the personnel have to come from China. Hmm. I would not frame Meg 2 as a co-production, but as a Chinese local production. Okay, then. Fair enough. We control 100% of the IP. It is our franchise, and we are responsible for making the commercial arrangements with our partners at Warner Brothers. So wait, are you saying they came up with the trench? Because that would, you know, that that ass, that opens up a whole separate We control questions. 100% of the IP. Yes, so. Okay, so like, I'm fascinated that the Chinese producers are like, oh yeah, the trench is definitely going to be global. That is definitely yeah. going to appeal to a global audience. Okay. Well, they, maybe that's why it's called The Trench, although that is the name of the book it's based on. Ah, okay. They hired a Los Angeles consultant to try and make the movie better, which <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. All right. A Los Angeles consultant? That is, this is all from an interview in Variety with the Chinese okay. producer. We hired a Los Angeles consultancy to conduct a survey and help us understand what worked. Mm-hmm. And didn't work mm-hmm. in the second film. Feedback included a desire for more monsters. Yeah. Okay, good. That's a that's a logical response. And more illustration of the depths below the thermocline. This all sounds like translation to me. Like yeah. no one really talks like this. I yeah, like this. that sounds like, yes, that sounds like a translated interview. Yeah. yeah. Also kind of different, Wu Jing. Yeah, who plays, lead. yeah, he plays Ju Ming, who's the, um, right. the brother. Apparently even bigger star than the two in the last film. Oh, then Lee Bing Bing. Uh, I would not have guessed that. Okay. Each of his last five films did 400 to $800 million at the box office in China alone. Okay, then. All right. Fair enough. Another difference is that Wu got a back-end deal like an American star. Oh, good for him. You know what? I mean that sincerely. Good for him. He, you know, yeah, fair enough. Which is also good because Jason Statham cannot promote this movie because of the strike. Oh, you that's know who right. can promote this movie, Dan? Wu Jin. In China, yes. Ah, okay. Ironically, you know the labor strike doesn't apply to China. So, who would have thought? Actually, I do like the delicious irony of that. I have to say, yes. I also just wanted to quote Steve Alton, who's the author of the books that these are based on, because he amuses me, his <laughs> confidence. Yes. Can we just pause for a second? And I still cannot believe oh, yeah, that, this based is, on books. that this is based yeah. on a book series. And I'm sorry, like for, for those who did not listen to our previous episode, I still love the fact that one of those book titles is, I believe, The Meg Hell's Aquarium. Yes, that is correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10, no notes on the title. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Oh, also, I don't know if this was like thinking ahead for strike purposes, but mm-hmm. it premiered in Shanghai in June. Ah, okay. Rather than before you know, the strike. Yeah, August. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Steve Alton is the guy that wrote the books and mm-hmm. his self-confidence, like, give me that. Give me the <laughs> self-confidence of Steve Alton. My feeling is this has always been a billion dollar franchise if done right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sure. Yeah. But to be done right, you have to get the shark right, get the cast right, get the tone right. And Warner Brothers nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it completely. (laughs) So... 
billion dollar franchise, Dan. I'm That's sorry. That's what we're looking forward to. I like that confidence. Did I ever tell you that a Hollywood producer once called me about trying to turn theories of international politics and zombies into a book? No, a I have. Oh, God. I have a Hollywood producer story, too. Oh, Although okay. it's not short. It's just like I met one and he was exactly what. Right. She was wearing like a black baseball cap and jeans and a t-shirt. And oh, like that's told perfect. Me we're going to make a million. We're going to make a million dollars. You start looking at houses here. That's, yeah. what that's, my, that's my great story. Mine was right. like the producer cold called me and was like, yeah, I think, you know, we can absolutely like, you know, turn this into a movie. If you just, you know, do a treatment for it, then it'll work. Right. And like, I, you know, it, I was sufficiently <laughs> suspicious of the cold call that I actually contacted my press and was like, and this is an academic press, mind you. It was like, hey, I got this weird call. And they were like, oh, yeah, we know this guy. Do not do anything. It's like, you know, the kind of thing where, like, you would do 99% of the work and then, you know, nothing will happen. So so my Hollywood experience has been along those lines, yeah. I'll say. Yeah. Okay. I was in a conference call the other day with, with them, and one of the guys literally said, what? Well, I never spend my own money on these things. I was like... <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, yep. yep. Also, I think you should go like Orchid Thief with the theories of zombie and international relations and have you be part of it. And it's like the story of like a mild mannered. Oh, so I get to play like, the Chris Cooper role. Yeah. 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 Mild mannered international relations professor who somehow gets caught up in like a zombie ring. Zombie I ring. Like that. I, I like that. There's... I don't think those exist, but like. <laughs> no, potential though. Like, uh, yeah. We'll workshop this some later. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Some kind of zombie cult society. We'll just make all it's Da Vinci Code meets World War Z. Ooh, I like there. that. Oh, nice. And you're a semiotics professor. <laughs> no, we'll no, save that for later. I refuse to be a semiotics Sidebar. professor. Sidebar for that later. Yeah. Also, one last thing from Steve Alton. Mm -hmm. He, in his newsletter, which I may have to subscribe to, <laughs> <laughs> confirmed that the script, this is like a year ago, he said, yeah. confirmed the script was complete, what the title was, and said it had a dark tone <laughs> it's, a gritty, <laughs> it's a gritty reboot dan oh yeah because that was the problem with the original meg it was too like bubblegum pop you know that was that was that was the real problem and also this does not have a dark tone <laughs> no it really doesn't no 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 i mean like this way it has a dark tone in the sense that the latter resident the latter day actually it does remind me a little bit of a zombie film the latter day like bad resident evil films in the same way like you know yeah people get eaten but like let's be real it's not a dark tone no yeah i again I'm, i might have to subscribe to that guy's newsletter yeah, fair enough add another newsletter <laughs> to my to my growing collection of like my soon it'll just see, be all news see you're suspicious just of Substack, Anna, but you're actually part of the problem that's all i'm saying okay uh, Actually, I'm part of the solution by subscribing to them. Eventually, when I unsubscribe to all of them, like most sane people will, <laughs> and Substack implodes. Fair enough. All right. Chekhov's right. What's It. That's where we That's where we are now. Yes. Chekhov's What's It. Let's get what to Chekhov's What's It. So this is the thing that often appears in Act 1 of the film that winds up being relevant in Act 3. It's Chekhov's cliche for me, Anna. What is the cliche? Which one, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that is, that hurts. It's the one that the Jonas and Mei Ying keep telling each other. Hold on, let me let me make sure I've got this oh, accurate. Yeah. It is. You wouldn't want to screw it up because it's so important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how do we how do we work our way out of this? We work the problems one by one, and then we do the next thing. I uh, yeah. I, I was just. A... It was very banal, but like clearly, the screenwriter was thinking if we say it multiple times, it will resonate as deep. Well, 
what I what I like to think is it's a really important to that screenwriter's like personal development. Oh, that that's a that, that's a nice way of thinking about Anna. I bet that screenwriter, really, yeah, yeah, like really help them through some tough times. They, maybe they were like, a low point and they stumbled onto yeah. that as like the way they need to get about their day. And okay, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. All right. What about you? I've got Chekhov's clicker training. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a, that's Which a good I one. saw. Did you see that one coming, Dan? I don't know. That was it's. <laughs> It was subtle the way that they had the shark clicker trained. And by subtle, you mean badly or like just very, very obvious. Yes, yes. Yeah. I will say that was a moment of genuine tension. I guess we'll get to Mm -hmm. that. I I thought, I didn't know what a big star the lead was. You actually thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, yep. He might get eaten. Fair enough. But this does get us to the plot. Dan, would you like to start us off? I would be happy to. Let's start with Act 1. Jonas loves his job. So five years after the events of The Meg, all (laughs) seems sort of okay in the South Pacific. Jonas is now an eco-warrior protecting the oceans from radioactive waste, which involves doing things like, you know, hiding out in containers and container ships. He's like a ships. Navy SEAL eco-warrior. I mean, it is believable that he would be a Navy, ex-Navy SEAL. I'm just saying that. Yeah. When he's on land, he's... No, I mean, like, he's... I don't think eco-warriors do the shit that he does. No, I'm actually but... quite confident that eco-warriors do not do that. Yes. Right. Yeah. But it's... It it looks cool and it's good for an action movie. And, it's, so, yeah. and it, it is eminently believable that Statham would do that. So, yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, when he's on land, he's taking care of Mei Ying with her uncle Jin Ming... Because Su Yin apparently died a few years earlier. I'm just saying it's COVID. Like, they don't say how she died. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they say how she died. They, like, have the immemorium nope. thing. Don't say how she died. I'm calling nope. it. It's COVID. Just just going to put that out there. It's terminal agent itis. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Juming's corporation also took over Mana 1 and is continuing exploration in the trench with the assistance of co-financier Hilary Driscoli. They even have a Meg in captivity, Hai Chi, rescued as an injured baby, who Juming is convinced that he's befriended and through clicker training can make her swim away. And this leads to the scene that, that you were by the way, out. Yeah. Yeah. Clicker training as with dogs, there's no clicker training for go away. Right. I I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not also I really want to know how like in the original like training scenario did Ju Ming convince like just through like skinnerian training was like he did the clicker and then someone threw chum like uh, like 90 degrees yeah, no that's what i'm saying yeah. you, there's like ways you can teach an animal to to leave your, the place that it's at right right but go away doesn't really <laughs> translate into like what animals can like visualize that's, yes i think ed fair enough but anyway you were actually convinced that he was eaten during this scene because like there, there was uh, a brief I thought he might it was it, it, there, I, genuine tension for me yeah. not having known what a big star mm-hmm. he was i will say it was actually well shot in the sense of you thought maybe he actually yeah. did buy it and yeah know. that's what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. Anywho, Taylor and Juming go to Mana 1 to lead an exploratory mission to the trench with Regis and a lot of other weirdly accented red shirts. Mei-Ying stows away to see the trench for the first time. Discovered by Jonas, he plans to return to the surface when they detect Hai Chi, who has been acting strangely as of late, and escaped her preserve near Hainan Island. They decide that they have no choice but to lose Hai Chi in the thermocline, so they dive into the trench. Once there, they see Haichi mating with two other Megs. More importantly, in fact, way more importantly, they find a manned underwater station that sure as hell ain't supposed to be there. Looks pretty sus to me. 
I'm a little disappointed. I'll be honest. I'm a little disappointed that Mei Ying was not like, did not look at that and say, look sus to me. That would have been a good line for it's this because it, This thing's a few years old now, Dan. I know. But continue. I'm still using it. I don't care. It's It's got legs. Go ahead. Anna, if nothing else, I do think the film's producers demonstrated two learned lessons from the original version of The Meg, which was, first, don't try to make Bing Bing Lee and Jason Statham a thing, and second, keep Mei Ying around, because she was Sophie Kai, who plays Mei Ying, best thing in the first film. And the relationship that she has with Jonas in the first film is actually like pretty solid. Yeah, and I think that relationship stands yeah i agree here mm-hmm. although it's largely reliant on cliches as, yeah, but sure. uh, hey dan aren't, aren't most father-daughter relationships how dare you anna <laughs> and yes <laughs> yes uh, i didn't find her as charming as a preteen but also from my studies most preteens are not charming i was gonna say i think this is just a function of her being 14 rather than eight yeah i mean let me put it this way how to, how to how to put this politely she was not an asshole in this movie, so well done by Sophie Kai. Because like fourteen year old girls has a high propensity to behave that way. So like, you know, all yeah. the whole, I think, relatively speaking, they they did. And a good she's job. believably not an asshole, right. I would say. Exactly, yes. Like it, I think that there wasn't enough naked Jason Statham. That is a criticism I have. So you would like to lodge uh, a protest in the making of this film. I yeah. I think I think they were smart to get rid of the romance. Yeah. But you still could have had some naked state though. Like I got to agree. All yeah. kinds of opportunities for him taking off his shirt. I'm not going to lie. Like, like you don't need romance to take off your shirt. Yeah, and actually like the, literally the very first shot in the film after the the I, we forgot to discuss the prologue in which was actually I actually thought kind of funny where like it's basically animal eating like it's like you see a small animal then a larger animal eating it then an even larger animal eating it and it ends with the meg like eating a tyrannosaurus rex yeah but like right after that it cuts circle of life yes exactly (laughs) that would have been funny if they'd played that (laughs) but the the like the the first scene you actually see is is statham as jonas like doing pull-ups and i was like i thought all right. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. thank God, because like one of the least believable things in the first film is like he's supposed to be this drunk who nonetheless has just rock hard abs. I'm like, good, you're showing him work out. When he's like shirtless later, it'll be believable. And they didn't go with shirtless. I'm even in agreement with you on this one. Yeah, we, we started off on a, on, a, on a good note. Yeah. And then never, never followed never up. Never again, yep. never followed up. Yep. So Dan is, I think regular listeners of the podcast will know I'm an animal person. Mm-hmm love animals. Yep. I have chosen to have an animal family yes. rather than produce. Your animal family is adorable, by the way. They they are. Mm-hmm. They are. And also very easy to take care of, unlike little humans. Mm-hmm. So but I but I but speaking of taking care of, you there's a lot of responsibility that comes with taking care of animals. Mm-hmm. Because we are the humans and we we have to do things for them and we have to make decisions for them. You don't put a megalodon in an enclosure that size. It's a megalodon, Anna. Megalodon, megalodon. in a tiny enclosure. Like I am so sensitive to these things. I couldn't watch Blackfish. Like I just not mm-hmm. not gonna do it. But this reminded me of what I know about that of like the Sea World putting yeah. orcas in way too small mm-hmm. enclosures. Like they go crazy. So when she escaped, I was kind of like, good for her. Yes. No, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that was, uh, it was too, too enclosed to space. That's a fair point. But at the same time, I think there's a, you know, a well-known adage, which is never follow a giant shark to a second location. 
Bravo. Bravo. That is one of my favorite 30 Rock lines ever. It, it might actually be one of the best lines ever written for a sitcom. But yes. Yes. I agree. Well done. But also a good piece of wisdom. Yeah. That, that, in that, this particular. Yeah. I do think never follow a giant shark, period, also would be good advice. But particularly to the second location. Totally fair. Yes. I mean, I guess they have to catch it, but they don't. They don't really say they're going to catch it. It's just like, I wonder where she went, yeah. you know? Like, well, to be fair, like, they, I mean, technically, if you're going to go by the plot, they're not following her. They're trying to get in oh, front of right. her. Oh, that's right. She escaped. She escaped. Right. They're, they're thinking she's not going to go through the thermocline, which, of course, she does. And, you know, then we see, then we see why. Yeah. They're, they're, and I don't know. Like, the thermocline, I'm just not going to say anything at all. <laughs> Never mind. If there you, is if a you want, invisible barrier. If you would like honest thoughts on the thermocline, please listen to the episode <laughs> previous to this one. All right. Let's, let's keep going. All right. Then. Let's get to act two. I think there might be some capitalism in the trench, Anna. So a sub manned by the mercenary Montez sees the two research submersibles from Mono One. And he decides that he has to blow the trench in order to kill those ships. He knocks the power out of those ships, but also kills his miners as well. Not that he seems all broken up about it. Meanwhile, Mono One can't send the rescue sub to get the people in the two ships because someone has sabotaged it. Mac and DJ, back for more Meg action, concur with Jess that there's a saboteur on board. Meanwhile, Jonas, Jinming, Meiying, Rivas, and the rest decide their best option is to walk along the trench floor in their exosuits back to the manned station that they saw and find a way to the surface from there. Their journey is rather treacherous, and all the red shirts die sometimes in some pretty gruesome ways. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, as soon as we saw the guys, like, figurines, the red shirts, like, little, like, toys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, he's going to die. Yep. Like <laughs> they're oh. establishing just enough of a personality mm-hmm. that they can kill him. <laughs> yes. And, and make you hopefully feel safe. I will say the, the, the last kill, the one where there oh was a crack in the, in the, uh, in the visor, brutal, but also like, like good. Like, I, I don't mean this. Like I, I, this is one of the larger themes I'm going to talk about in a weird way. This film needed to be a slightly more sadistic for it to work. And like, that was a, that was a good, unique death. That is, is what I'm pretty, trying to say. Pretty sadistic. Yes, that, exactly. Yep. All right. Anyway, once they arrive at the station, they discover that the place is an illegal mine for rare earths worth billions of dollars. They get to the escape pods, but then discover that Driscoll. <laughs> 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 I, listeners, I apologize. I am laughing because as I am reading the plot, Anna is yawning. And by the way, this particular part no, of the plot, I completely agree. I just want to point out, I am with Anna on this because this was the boring part of the plot to be absolutely clear. This is the part of the movie where if they had cut most of this out, would have been fine. Rare earth. Rare earth. Rare Dan. Yeah. yeah. It also, it's, it's like, it's also has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's the, it's the MacGuffin. I mean, the rare earths of the MacGuffin and that's, that's pretty much it. Right. But the key thing is, is that they discover once they get to the escape pods, that Driscoli is the one bankrolling the mining and that Jess was the saboteur on Mono One. Gasp! Gasp! Jess launches all of the pods without any of the people in them. And without a suit, Jonas swims to another entrance, beats up Montez, and frees Mei Ying and the rest. Jin Ming turns on the mining lights to distract the Megs and allow them to escape in Montez's sub. Meanwhile, Montez uses a buoy to escape to the surface as well. 
Anna, this section suggests a lesson that perhaps the, the Meg folks maybe did not quite process from the first film, which is less talk talk and more shark shark. Yes, the shark disappears for long parts of this movie. There's multiple sharks this way. There's not just one Meg. There's three Megs, you know. And yeah. you could have cut this entire section, <laughs> just entire section, just or just gesture toward it. Mm-hmm. I mean, or have it be like, oh, they're mining rare earth. Yeah. And that's very lucrative. Mm-hmm. And that's why she wants to do this. Let's try to kill them. And then the chases ensue. And so there's like a lot of time. Oh, what is this? What are they mining? Let's tour the place where they, you know, let's figure out what they're mining. And then also, you know, I don't want more science. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. when they say you won't get crushed right away, you just need to empty your sinus sinus passages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) that, That is a problem with both the first film and this film, which is, as you say, most of the time there's significant hand waving, but then it's like yeah. every once in a while the screenwriter feels a pang of conscience or something. It feels like, oh, I guess I need to explain this part, you know. Badly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. without much science. Then also, Dan, we'll talk more about whether there's a critique of capitalism in this movie <laughs> later. Yeah. But the comically evil, like monologues. Yeah. Like the the she she might as well Driscoli might as well had a have had a mustache she was twirling. <laughs> I mean she like the glasses. I'm, I'm surprised you know, like she didn't paste one on the, just so she could twirl it. I, I, I guess my question is is that for women is the is like the fancy sunglasses their version of the mustache twirl? Oh, but I see. I love. I have a weakness for fancy sunglasses. Okay, but and also you don't like you smooth the the, yes, the mustache. Okay. I just like I just I actually like the idea. That in some movie it'd be like an airplane movie or something where like the the female villain like puts, oh, on, puts on a mustache. mustache. Well, that would actually be very funny. Right. Just so you can like smooth it and yeah. like act like a villain. But I can't even remember what the monologue is, but it's just like, we want to make money. Yes. So we're going to kill you. <laughs> well, like, again, it's, it, you know, as you point out, like the part of the problem here is that it, there, there, there's very little subterfuge. It's like Driscoli like goes evil immediately. She flaunts it, you know, and, and, yeah, like it was Incredibles level monologuing, I guess would be the way to yeah. put it. And it was yeah. not very- I'm a bad, I'm a bad guy yeah. and I want to make lots of money and human lives aren't important to me. Oh yeah, there was like something like- I, <laughs> No, I think she even like said, and no one will know that we've damaged the trench yeah. or something, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was, it was very weird. <laughs> Also, it would have been cool if she pulled off her face to like reveal she's really like old man withers or whatever. Or she was Su Yin. That would have even been better. Yeah. If she had been Su Yin, that would have actually been a, a legit plot twist. Uh, oh, I have one question about this. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I guess Americans wrote this, but part of me was like, is this what the Chinese people think Americans will buy as villainous? Like. I guess the, the ironic thing about this, Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. is that what that we think that the bad guys are capitalists or like this kind of ham fisted, like let's destroy nature for profit. I mean, like, I'm going to remind you Anna, that in some ways this is a tradition in this franchise because it's not like the rain Wilson character from the first <laughs> film was like all that different. I mean, it was the, the weird part about rain Wilson in the first film is that he just seems like an idiot most of the time. And then at the end, he takes this hard right turn where it's like, I've notified everyone. And then he hasn't notified everyone. And he's trying to kill the, the Meg by himself. It's nonsensical. His, his motivations are kind of nonsensical. Yeah. The insurance thing. Right. Her motivations but, actually make some sense. They make some sense, but it's just in America. Yeah. 
we're more subtle about how much we hate the earth and other people. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, an awful lot of American movies have an evil plutocrat as the villain. So like, you That's know, true. I don't, I don't think it's that leave this way. I don't think it's but that. You know, you know what? That's right. That's right. It's, we have an evil plutocrat as the villain because that way we can soothe our own conscience. Since right. We're not like comically bad. But let me put it this way. I, <laughs> I think I agree with you that there is a fee. The way I would put it is, is that her character does almost feel like it was a Chinese creation that went through the yeah. translator and comes out slightly off in the end. Like it didn't make any sense. Yes. Okay. So speaking of which, let's get to act three. There's something amiss in the thermocline, Anna. Mm-hmm. Driscoli sends mercenaries to take over Mono One while Montez surfaces and meets up with his girlfriend, Jess. Fortunately, Mac and DJ have figured out that Jess is the saboteur, and DJ has picked up some mad fighting and swimming skills since the end of the first film. As the crew surfaces, they discover that the thermocline rupture from earlier has allowed several of the creatures, including three Megs, a giant octopus, and gator-like creatures that Wikipedia calls snappers, but are obviously land sharks, Anna. I mean... Candy Graham. What? Candy Graham. Candy Graham, exactly. <laughs> Candy Graham. <laughs> Room service. <laughs> Room service. <laughs> you know, We're old. We are old. But I'm sorry, that, that joke yeah. is still good. Also, actually, by the way, it was my, ni- my 18-year-old daughter, Lauren, that said they're land sharks. So, like, you know... There, there's some but did she do there. a candy gram joke? She did not. I don't think she's even aware okay. of the candy gram joke. Okay. So yeah. Anyway. Google it, youngsters. <laughs> the point is the Megs, the giant octopus, the land sharks all reach the surface. Jonas's crew meets up with DJ and Mac and they escape from Mono One on a motorized raft. Meanwhile, Driscoli wants to promote Jess to fake hero, but she then gets eaten by a Meg. I think outside the same window that we see Mei Ying at in the first film. Mon- I thought that was actually legitimately funny. You know what? It was legitimately funny, but I was pissed because it was in the trailer. So I knew that was coming. Oh, I would have actually, that was one of those where like, you know, sometimes like a trailer shows too much. I think that actually, if like that hadn't been in the trailer, it would have been really, really funny. So well done. Montez orders some mercs to pursue Jonas's crew, but they get killed by a Meg as well. Those Megs really dislike mercs on it. They're kind of like Riddick that way. <laughs> <laughs> Montez and some other mercs grab a chopper and head to, and I swear to God, I am not making this up on a fun island. It translates loosely to, to fun, fun island. island. Okay, yes, that, that that's is right. actually one of my oh, that, one, one of my favorite parts. That's true. Is actually, he's yes. like, he's like, what island is that? And the, and he's like, it translates to fun, fun island. island. <laughs> This, this is awful to say, but I, I wish, I hope that the next of these, like clearly all these films are apparently going to end at some like weird resort. And I'm kind of wondering yeah. like, you know, do they come up with even worse names? Like, you know, Gigolo Island, Horror Island, yeah. like, you know, it, we'll, we'll figure it out. Sex Island. Sex Island, there we go. <laughs> yes. This is also where the Megs and the Land Sharks and Octopus are headed oh, as well. Oh, oh let's, yes. we, we can like work this up for like the various Hollywood producers that we know later. Yeah. But what it is is the next one. There's actually a reality show. There's like yeah, there should be like Milf Island, the Milf Island it's or Milf Temptation Island. Island or yeah, but no, there's show. Yeah, I'm actually surprised there wasn't a reality show there. That would actually would have been that's funny. the next one. That is the next one. Yeah, actually, one of the again parallel to zombie films. One of the best zombie shows ever was a one called Dead Set, which was the idea that it, it takes place. The the zombie apocalypse happens in the UK, and the only survivors are in this re, like Big Brother style reality show. It's very funny. Just, I love it. Yeah. I also like the idea of zombies doing their own Milf Island. Yeah. 
That could be good. Okay. Anyway, everyone is headed to Fun Island. (laughs) Zombies, like, you know, like being boozed up by the host (laughs) so that they they get more intimate in the confessionals, like when they do the one-on-one confessionals. Yes. Yes. Ah, uh, brains. Uh, hot brains. <laughs> like her brains. What her brains. <laughs> okay. The point is, everyone is headed for Love Island, and it looks like there's going to be a big final fight. Anna, let's talk about the land sharks, because is it me, or is it true that they make no sense, even by the standards of this franchise? Like, they're perfectly fine on land, but have heretofore spent their entire existence like 25,000, you know, meters down or whatever, feet down. It, it, it seems implausible. Well, you, okay, number one. Yeah, I know, I know. You used the phrase even by the standards of this franchise. Right, yes. Which okay. I think we you cannot underestimate what the standards of this <laughs> franchise are. All right, fair enough. Yeah, totally. Number two, there was a prologue that featured the land sharks in the water. Right, you see them swimming in the water. I get that they can swim in the water. The idea that they would live completely under the the water. The bigger problem, if we even want to go there. Okay, yes. With all of this, is that deep water creatures, Mm -hmm. once exposed to low pressure, would disintegrate. Oh. Because their skin would not, you know, like they they wouldn't hold together. Ah, I see. Right. Okay. And, but then like, so I think there's a, there's a hand wavy thing in the first movie where they say that under the thermocline, it's not, the pressure isn't as bad. I think that's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. Which, okay. Let's just give them that. Okay. Sure. Right. Right. Sure. They've acknowledged they have to explain it away. Okay. You would have to exit the thermocline into deep pressure. So you would get crushed. Yes. If you were a. Not used to deep pressure. Right. Yeah. Not to deep pressure. So whatever. Like, I can't believe we're even talking about this. Let's let's go to what my favorite, actually, truly plausible thing is in this section, Dan. Which is DJ the action hero. <laughs> DJ gets some redemption in this film from the first one. Love this. Yes. Love this for him. Yes. Love this for trauma survivors in general. Mm-hmm. Like this is a very common trauma response is to like assert control. Yep. This is one of the healthier ones. Mm-hmm. When you assert control by like upping your competence and like coming to believe in your own competence, mm-hmm. the weapons. Maybe not so much. Not great for real life. Are you saying fifty caliber is not useful, Anna? How dare you? Not a, not a practical, not a practical not, caliber. Not a, How dare not you? A practical caliber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that he's he's got his kung fu fighting, mm-hmm. his new fighting technique. Love that for him. He's got a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. He knows how to swim. Like, I he just he looks. He's awesome. Like I just. I think love this term. I think they learned the lesson again. This is one where I do think they learned the lessons of the first film because they had the black guy not being able to swim, which like even they acknowledged well, they in a, the film they made a was point of him not being able to right. swim. Like it's yeah. not just he couldn't swim; right. it was like, hey, nudge, nudge. Yes, <laughs> like, but like it, it wasn't. It wasn't that funny, I guess, is the, in the first film. No. So like, I'm glad that they like. He gets redemption. So, you know, justice for DJ. Well, they kept it sort of in canon that he couldn't swim right. and then gave him swimming. I love it. It's, yeah. it's, I love that for him. Yeah. I, I love that in general. So, yes. okay. kudos. All Speaking right. of continuity from the first film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's get to the real hero of this film, Anna. Act four, Pippin saves the day. Everyone converges to Fun Island and nothing goes according to anyone's plan. Driscoli and most of the mercs die when they are attacked by the land sharks. 
I, I just sidebar here. It was actually impressive how incompetent these mercs and Driscoli were. They kept getting like attacked by the land sharks and they kept getting surprised by it. And like for a while, I'm like, these are like what what low ass raggedy ass like rent a mercs did she have? Is I, I I'm sorry, I just want to point that out. This is the one part where I felt like you really could have done a candy gram joke <laughs> because like. Yeah. she's such an idiot yeah like the land shark goes up to the helicopter door and goes candy <laughs> and just is like oh candy gram like, yeah fair enough taylor's group tries to evacuate the tourists from the water but the land sharks complicate things and then the megs and the <laughs> mega octopus begin chomping their way through the tourists taylor kills one meg using an explosive taped tarpoon He's then attacked by Montez for no obvious reason. Dan, he spent two years in a Philippine prison. Okay, that's just going to make thinking him hostile of nothing, to everyone. Yes. Think of, think of nothing but revenge. I, killing Jonas. It is true that he does say that in their first fight. It's like, you don't remember me, do you? And I'm like, I was like trying to think, did we see him in the first film? Because I don't remember him in the first <laughs> film. And then like he has to explain the complicated backstory. It's a, it. Okay, fine. But the point is that by the time he's going after Jonas, like it is revenge is the only motivation he has. Everything else is And also, you should also be worried about the shark. This yeah, is the thing. That's what, like, yes. Montez should have, like, you. what is the IR term for this, Dan? Is like, you evaluate your threat. The enemy of your enemy like, can, might <laughs> be your friend. friend. And so, like, I think. Or at least isn't your still your enemy. Yes. Like, or, you know what, Dan, what it is, is you deal with one thing at a time. You deal with one problem. <laughs> well done. See, you learned something from this film. Yes, the point is is that Montez's sense of threat perception is piss poor and yeah. he deserved to die. Anyway, the two fight on a dock and then Taylor kicks Montez into another Meg to be eaten. Juming creates a bomb out of fertilizer and he and Mac use Driscoli's helicopter to fly towards the breach. Mayang is there not listening to Jonas and going into the water to help Taurus. Again, by 14-year-old girl standards, pretty pretty nice. What a, what a 14 year old girl would do. Yeah. I mean, just disobey. Yeah. What I mean, yeah. it's like a very clear, a very clear and sensical instruction from your parents. Right. Like, not a random one, right. one that's like, I want you to do this. And, because, and, I want you to do X because of Y. Right. And furthermore, he reinforced it by saying, this isn't one of those times where you just say yes and then don't do it. Like, that was yeah. actually a, a legitimately nice little parenting moment. I, I like that. Yeah. So, but, and still, she doesn't listen. Anyway, yeah. the mega octopus takes down the chopper. Ju Ming bombs the octopus, attracting the Meg, who proceeds to kill the octopus. Taylor picks up one of the down chopper's rotors and uses it to fatally impale the other Meg in the head. Hai Chi, the last remaining Meg, the one that Juming thinks he's trained, uh, heads towards Taylor, Juming, and Mac, but Juming uses his train signals to divert the shark's attention. Or, you know, Hai Chi redirects her attention to a pod of dolphins swimming away. Making their way to the beach, Juming reasons that Hai Chi escaped captivity because it was mating season, and there's some discussion of the possibility that she's pregnant. Taylor decides better to get drunk and not think about it, and the group celebrates their survival with some whiskey. Anna, I don't normally say this about the films that we watch, but I honestly do think this franchise needs to be a little more sadistic. And here's why. This is the second time, you know, in this franchise, two films, two last acts where the, sh you know, the sharks go to a resort, and the truth is, is that the kill count is not all that high in either case. So, like, there was one pretty gleeful tracking shot where I think you see the shark fighting the octopus and then Taylor fighting, you know, 
Montez that I thought was actually pretty good. And I also liked Shark Cam, where there's like a, a camera from the shark's mouth perspective. And I also think they were onto something with like that obnoxious dude on the phone who eventually gets eaten. I think they just needed to lean into that a lot more. There has to be a much larger roster of obnoxious beach presences who can get eaten, like the Instagram people or, you know, the people, the douche bros who are playing music too loud or, you know, objectifying women too obviously or something like there. There's just way like kill a lot more people is what I'm saying. I, I wonder if this is where the American Chinese sort of synergy falls apart because you have you would have to create obnoxious people who are obnoxious across all cultures. That is possibly true. And there are some people, there, there's some behavior that might not be obnoxious in one culture that is really obnoxious in another one that you might be right there. That's maybe like, maybe like talking loudly on the phone was the only obnoxious thing they could find, but I don't know. Sexism is pretty global. I'm just yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably also why they went with like the comically capitalist mm-hmm. <laughs> villain too. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think there needs to be a higher death count, yeah. higher body count. Mm-hmm. I also liked what I called gullet cam. Yeah, that's good. Gullet cam is good. I like yeah. that, yes. I think you might consider making the sharks the villains, Dan. How about that? How about for that for an out of the box <laughs> Whoa. idea? Whoa. I am a little surprised. It's true. Like you, like that's not how you think. Yes. That, or that's not how the movie no, really it, goes. It, yeah. No. And, and they're like a secondary fear Really? And I mean, I, I think it's a time-honored tradition to be humans are the real sharks, right? But <laughs> Yes. Much like in zombie <laughs> movies. You know, humans right. are the real undead, yes. But if we go to, like, Jaws, like, you can make an animal, like, pretty scary. And you can also do it, like, in a way that sort of respects, like, the individual. Like, if you want to make it, like, a super smart mm-hmm. character and, like, give them motivations and stuff, I think that's possible. Like, it's a little tricky, but you can say like you can give the shark like it's trying to protect its kids or whatever oh yeah, yeah. like maybe that's the next movie but yeah yeah oh there is i mean according to the books oh we're, we're yeah are we are we a litter of men is the third one hell's aquarium oh damn it okay i think that's the fourth one actually, Ooh, I hope but i do think that i gotta admit I I'm, think that, I'm now pulling for the franchise to get to hell's aquarium just so i can see it yes yeah i believe there needs to be more I guess more evil in general, like more just badness. Mm -hmm. And also, but when we start talking about what can make these, this movie better, you're then reaching into a realm of just, it's not possible for these movies to break a certain level. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's almost as though they hit a thermocline (laughs) of imagination. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I live this way. I think what you might be right about is that by trying to aim for a global audience, there are perhaps certain limits on what they can do in terms of being clever in these films that you might be right about that. I mean, I don't know. And also I think there's only so much they want to spend. There's only so much they want to like do. They don't, there's no, well, this is one of the things we've talked about. Mm -hmm. We talk about this a lot. There is not a lot of grand ambition. No. In this. And to make a good, bad movie, you need someone who actually, you know what I think if Steve, Alt, Altman. Altman, that's the guy? The, yeah. the guy who wrote the books. Are you Alton, saying he should, Alton. Alton, should he direct the next one is what you're saying? Yes. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Because he believes in his shit, man. <laughs> like, 
he thinks he's onto it, right? Like this <laughs> could thinks, be a billion he dollar thinks he's franchise. Moby Dick the franchise is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think he should write and direct one of these. Okay. And then you're going to get the kind of swinging for the fences that can make something like a, a good bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These, these, the, the filmmakers here, it's not so much like even like for a global audience, you have to make certain compromises. It's just They're just not aiming very high. True. Fair enough. But I guess they, you know what it is? The way I would put it is, is that you're right. To make a, a good, bad movie, you have to swing big. But there is another way you can do it, which is to have a sense of glee or a sense of fun. Yeah. And I think the problem is, yeah. is that I'm not sure the filmmakers even have that. They're so risk averse in some ways that they wind up. I mean, I, there is a part of me that wonders that if part of the reason the carnage isn't all that serious in the last act, again, and this is something that even the Chinese audience noticed with the first one, is that they didn't want to kill too many Chinese characters. But, like, there are ways around that. You could have, like, made the Westerners, like, the, the gauche ones or something, you know. And, and What's so funny is I don't think Americans would fucking notice, No, man. no way. Like, <laughs> not a chance. We're just used to, we're just used to everybody dying. We have so many guns. Exactly. Like, it's just, you know, people die. Although it would be... It would be legit funny if Ted Cruz then complained about like, you know, <laughs> come on, you, you would like, do that. You know what would be legit funny is to make him one of the obnoxious people who gets eaten. That would also be amazing. <laughs> but like, could you imagine Ted Cruz going on Fox News and, go, you know, like being like, I will tell you something, Sean. All right. I am tired of seeing Americans eaten by sharks. I want to see the Chinese eaten by sharks. Sean. There is a death deficit in this shark movie. <laughs> that is surprisingly good, Ted Cruz impersonation. Well done, Otto. <laughs> well done. Wow. Okay. There are more Americans dying in this movie, Sean. And I'm telling you. Why, Sean? Why do the producers hate America? There you go. Why? What I want to see. And I'm yeah. sponsoring new legislation Ooh. that demands an equal number of Americans and Chinese <laughs> dying. You know who the shark should be killing, Sean? The Chinese Communist Party. That's who. There you go. There we go. <laughs> and also, these land sharks cannot buy land in the U.S. of A. I am presenting legislation to prevent land sharks from owning property in this here United States of America. I want to be the leader on this issue, Sean. And I hope the Democrats will join with me in bipartisan support yeah. for this. Yeah. I, I'm looking for my friends across the aisle. <laughs> All right, we, we are having way too much fun. We are. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know what? This actually brings something up, Dave. Oh, yes, Anna? Is there IR in this movie? Anna, how do we figure out if there's IR in this film? We work the problems one by one. And then we do the next <laughs> thing. And then we say it again and again and again until we think it's a deep insight. <laughs> because there is a very small piece of IR in this film and it requires some deep sea mining. In some ways, actually, there is even less IR in this film than the original film, because in the original film, they actually do mention governments, you know, potentially <laughs> doing something. I don't, I'm not kidding. I don't think a single government is mentioned throughout the entire film. 
what little IR there is in this film actually revolves around more capitalists as global actors. So I apologize for poaching a little bit on your turf, Anna, but I, it, I think it's here. First of all, I do think it's really funny that a Sino-American production, the MacGuffin is Rare Earths, because the reason that Rare Earths are now so prized is twofold. First, to some extent, climate change, because what mo- what a lot of rare earths are used for is, among other things, electric vehicles. Also cell phones and, and stuff. But like the real reason there's suddenly a surge in demand for rare earths is because of the demand for electric vehicles. The second reason is that China dominates rare earth production. And so like what actually I'm a little surprised they didn't do was have Driscoli, the evil capitalist, say, we're not telling the Chinese government about this. You know, we're just going to like sell it to the like you actually could have added two sentences of geopolitics that would have made it more plausible. <laughs> would have made Dan. Happy. It would have made me yeah. happy. That's all I'm saying. The one thing that I actually thought was a touch clever was in that monologue that I admit 90 percent of it was really dumb was where Driscoli said that she was going to continue to use the philanthropy and science to launder her capitalist urges. The idea being that like the, the good, you know, the good works in mono one and so on and so forth yeah. would like, you know, make everyone unsuspecting about what her real, you know, rapacious motives were. And the truth is a lot yeah. of corporate actors engage in this kind of behavior as a way to augment their soft power. So that is entirely on brand. Totally fine with that. They're going to have paper straws at the mono one. There we go. <laughs> yes. 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 And all, all the shark, all the sharks that you get are from biodegradable. Like, you know, they're like, they're, re- they're from like recycled, you know, stuff. Like it, it's recycled shark. Recycled shark meat. Yeah. I was going to say recycled shark bone. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. You know what? Thank you, Dan. No problem. And I apologize for slightly poaching on your turf, but it does lead me to a natural question to ask. Please. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan. In psychology, they call it cognitive dissonance. <laughs> but in the real world, they call it capitalism. <laughs> there were a lot of, of good quotable lines for this podcast in this film, well, Anna. Yeah. Let's revisit that. Let's put a pen in that okay. about the good quotable Fair lines. Enough. I have something I want to point out about the quotable okay. lines. But this movie is a perfect encapsulation of the problem of making an anti-capitalism statement in a consumer product. Mm. I mean, I think that's this is a reason why all such things are kind of weak because you exist in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie being made the way that it was made, like it's such so explicitly just made for money, right? Yeah. Like it, there is nothing, there is no art. There is the no art, there. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It is just every single piece of it is like, tailor-made to make more of a profit to even the extent that the villains are capitalists. Like that is part of how this movie is engineered to make money. Right. Is to take this very plastic, fake kind of, you know, gross capitalism that again, like I was saying earlier, that we can distance ourselves from. We can be like, oh, we're not, we're not killing people to mine rare earth. (laughs) So I guess we're not that bad. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. yeah. So I, it's just a, it's just a, it, it's a thing about the movie that I, it, if you could say is cognitive dissonance, but really it is capitalism. <laughs> well done. Well done. And I think I agree with you. What, what you. what I think we're discovering is that this movie, which was made for purely capitalist motivations, again, the idea that it was supposed to be a global film to work in both China and the United States, it's probably going to do pretty well. But like there are limits in terms of artistry of what they can accomplish because of that. And that's what I think we've yeah. discovered. 
you know, I mean, there are exceptions to this rule. Like I think some like Michael Bay mm. occasionally presents an exception to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if 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 people want to look at Bapril. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, but Michael Bay's interesting case, right? Because he wants to make a lot of money, yeah. but he also swings for the fences. He also has this passion about making money, I think, kind of. I think, a re- like- <laughs> well, I think to be fair, part of it is that weirdly, Michael Bay's passion is almost in the technical side of filmmaking. It's in the, yeah. photo- it's in the it imagery. And let's face it, even in his like, even in his worst films, there are some gorgeous images in a way that there is... There was one shot of like the the like the trench where like you see all the bioluminescent stuff that does look kind yeah. of pretty, but like it's like a half second and that's it. There's nothing like I actually now I kind of want to see Michael Bay make one of these movies because like I bet it would be so much better. He's never made an underwater it, film; it would be an interesting challenge for him. You know, it would. Yeah, I I I think that it's another example of swinging for the fences, though, right? Yeah. Because Michael Bay is very interested in making money, but he also has this like technocratic kind of like desire to like make the highest quality like crap use the best lenses and the you know most exciting kind of special effects and so you do get that swing for the fences where this one is like totally swinging for the infield yes no this is this is is a bunt it's a bunt hit yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's a bunt when they've got the shift over yeah 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 i don't know anything about baseball okay that that was actually pretty good yeah thank you you. oh what's that it's a piece of shark and octopus. Debris field. Yes. I, I actually have quite a few things that I haven't gotten to I have here. a fair number of things. Yeah, I have a fair number of things as we well. Didn't get to. Okay. Oh, you go right, first, well, though. Why don't you? Oh, me? Yeah, you got to go me? first, please. No, no, you. You sure? Okay. No, me? Go. No, me? Oh, you? you know what? Like, you know, it's a, you it, you, it's, you, a you. it's a co-production on it. I, I'll, so I'll take a lead. You can go next. <laughs> I did think it was very funny when they were making the poison darts, I think, at one point, And DJ says, yeah, I'd use these from Jaws 2. Like, that might be the only Jaws 2 reference ever in a film. But, like, to the that was the closest to wit that this film had of, like, yeah, we're going to acknowledge this is the sequel to a shark movie. So I, I did like that. That was funny. Intentionally funny. There's, I have some a bunch of non, not intentionally funny okay, stuff. Okay, yeah. The underwater exoskeleton hug. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Like when the uncle and Mei Ying yeah. are reunited yeah. on the bottom of the ocean right. floor. Yes. And it's supposed to be this touching reunion. So, of course, you've got a hug, but they're both wearing exoskeletons. Right. You, couldn't, you, you couldn't even get your arms around someone in that scenario. Yes. <laughs> yes. It would have been funnier if they tried to hug and then it bounced off each other or something. Oh, that would have been great. Like, that could have been intentionally funny yeah. instead of like, what would be the point of a hug at that right. point? Like, I, yeah. anyway, yeah. loved it. Okay. Speaking of which, while we're, we're talking about those exosuits, my first, you know, laugh out loud at the film was they're walking along the trench. And like you see Statham in the lead and suddenly he raises his hand immediately to like oh, yeah, freeze. Yeah. And I'm like, how are you doing that in 28,000 like feet underwater? There is no way you could like go that quick. It was like, it was like they were walking in air. It was, it was just, it was very oh. funny. Yeah. Sorry. See, what I thought was funny about that <laughs> is like, of course, everyone understands Navy SEAL <laughs> hand gestures now. I guess we've all seen enough movies. Yeah, yeah, like we sure. all know that means stop, yeah. I guess. Yep, yep. <laughs> like there is a 12 year old with them. <laughs> 14, 14. Maybe she was 14. Maybe she's the one who explained everything. Yeah, that's everybody. possible. There's a lot in that undersea, like 
expedition that I thought was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. So we lose some red shirts, as you yes. say, and one of them is lost. She's losing oxygen. Yeah. And oh, this, right. what the, her teammates just say to her over, over and over is, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. <laughs> now, I'm someone who needs a lot of support and emotional, like, you know, yeah, emotional support. I need a lot of emotional support when I'm doing hard things. Mm -hmm. People just repeating over and over, <laughs> you can do this, is actually not helpful. It actually would have like, been hysterical <laughs> if she had said, just shut up, okay? Just shut up and let me yeah. do this. <laughs> just, just, I'll just, you know... Like what would have, they do also try to get her to calm down because she's using right that which is fair that's that's actually legit because also like one thing not to say to a de depressed person for instance not that this is a totally like Parallel, similar situation yeah. is that it's usually not great to like assure them that everything's going to be okay mm -hmm. because you don't know that right. right and so it's better to kind of be like we're going to do our not we're going to do our best I, but more like come on not come on. We got this. We got we got this. We got this. Like we're helping you. I think the parallel is even worse than that. I think that's like telling a depressed person, "Cheer up." Yeah. I think that's actually yeah. the parallel to the the line and the di of dialogue in the film. So yeah. Totally. Okay. Totally. This is a small thing and it goes completely unexplained, but at one point DJ finally gets the sat phone and he calls and he says, "This is the exact quote." He says, "Global rescue? We need help." <laughs> Who the fuck is Global Rescue? And also, like, I can't believe I'm saying this. If Global Rescue exists, why didn't they call them in the first film? Like, remember, there's that line in the first film. I'm like, yeah, governments don't believe us. Like, well, why didn't you call Global Rescue well, then? Come on. I mean, I guess because there's been a Meg. Okay. So now maybe, Global Rescue maybe is that's like it. on Meg alert. I hope the third film, like, it turns out there's the Global Meg Force or something. Like, and that, like, that's who they have to deal with. But it was just, Meg it was just like, they called Global Rescue. We need help. We don't ever hear anything about that afterwards. It's just bizarre. I, I did laugh at that. Yeah. I'm, now I have to follow up on something you mentioned, which is that Pippin is being the real hero. Mm -hmm. But for those who may have forgotten, yes. Pippin is the adorable Shih Tzu, I think. I think That's so, yeah. Brand, breed, breed. whatever those are. <laughs> I like yeah. you said brand, though. <laughs> now, you and I talked about this. It can't be the original Pippin. Right, because this film think. was made five years later and like Pippin would and, be a little... Little long you know, in the tooth. It could be, could be. I hope that it is. Pippin would definitely not be very spry mm -hmm. at this point. Maybe, maybe it's Pippin's like, child. Like just, just I, I like that it's Pippin too. Okay, yeah, the trench. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Dan? A few things, actually. For a follow-up thought about Pippin. Again, this is where I think the film could have been clever. Pippin should have found someone on Fun Island, like a I don't know, like a French bulldog or something, and like. They, they could have had a romance and then Pippin could have rescued the French bulldog. That would have been an awesome, oh, like, you know, just saying. It really like, actually make him the hero. Yeah, exactly. Hero. Okay. My last thing, and I will give the film credit here. See you later. Chum is actually a pretty good shark pun, like Schwarzenegger kill line. I mean, it, it's I, not bad. I, I don't think I've heard it before because I don't think anyone's ever come up with a context where you would use that. But see you later, Chubb. Like, it's obvious what everyone's thinking. It's like, okay, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. 
That brings us to when I was trying to refresh my memory for for quotes to you. Yes. Because sometimes I don't take the best notes in the theater because I always feel very self-conscious about having my phone No, off. it's tricky to do this and in the theater. Like, listeners, I know- Especially if there's lots of people. Yeah. Like, when it's basically just me, then I'm great. Just take Also, I worry but, we're you know. going to intersect. There's apparently was some discourse on, on Twitter about whether you can use your phone in a film. And, like, Twitter has gotten to the point where, like, people are now defending that practice. And truthfully, I don't think you should do that- all that much like i was like I, i'm with you i was like self-conscious Look, like typing do you put yours on dark mode that's very important oh i should do that okay that's a good point I will do dark that. mode is helpful yeah it, but it, so i didn't take as good notes as i usually do uh-huh. so i was refreshing my memory for quotes and so i went to imdb yeah. and dan there are only two quotes <laughs> from the movie in imdb one is see you later Jim. right okay yeah what's the other one and the other is who says the 50 caliber is an impractical round <laughs> Both of those are perfectly fine. Not the best. And it makes me, it, I guess the fan base has not really spoken up yet. It's only been out for a little while. So I will say that my, the, the I have a line here and I don't even remember how they used it. I know it ha- it must've happened in the trench scene or like before that. I think it was DJ who said this, who says, this is some dumbass shit. Mark my words. <laughs> also, there's something about like, this is a good idea. No, this is a terrible idea. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. All right. I have just two two things. One is there are actual black helicopters, which I always appreciate oh, in a movie. Good, good, good. You yeah. know, like yeah. when the conspiracy people have actual black helicopters. Mm-hmm. And then two, we haven't mentioned that, what's the guy's name? Montez? Montez? Montez, Montez. Yeah, Montez. yeah, yeah, yeah. Montez the Philippine, yeah. is Bizarro Pedro Pascal. <laughs> He or budget Pedro Pascal again. Like you suggest, we were texting each other, and Anna suggested that like if they had had more money, it should have been Pedro Pascal. And I agree, Pedro Pascal versus Jason Statham. I would, I that would actually be pretty fun to watch because we we haven't said this for this episode about this version of the Meg, but Jason Statham has enough charisma to to make this movie worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's not. He's no Pedro Pascal, no. but he can hold his own. Like he's he's a handsome fella who has a good way with lines, who's got that little bit of something extra that makes him kind of magnetic on, he, on camera. He says at one point, you love your job. You never work a day in your life. And you know what? I believed <laughs> when he said that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you believe that for Jason Statham? Kind of. I, I kind of believe it with I me as so. well. Like, you know, maybe not a, never work a day in your life, but like, it, I love my job, my day job on it. And so like, it, it's, it's a nice thing. There's a, there's a glimmer yeah, of truth. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before. And I've been, I've thought about it recently, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. because I do work a fair amount. Right. And it is exhausting. And sometimes I kind of like, Anna, why do you do this? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? Why didn't you become... Why didn't you just write ad copy? Like, what did what? Like, you could have you could have become a PR person, Anna. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing this really hard intellectual labor? Oh God, I'm imagining um, you doing that. Like, you're going to wear clicky clack high heels, and yeah, ooh, ooh, you. you'd oh, gonna... I think I'd still be. I'd probably would still be like in the creative space oh, okay. and like have tattoos okay. and cool glasses Good. and all that. Mm-hmm. I'd make a lot more money, mm-hmm. but I'd be dead inside. <laughs> well, you've answered your own question. But who's to say I'm not dead inside right now? Yeah. But. <laughs> What I what I've thought is there is a difference between the ex- work as an expenditure of energy, mm-hmm. like a like the you know physics definition right. of work, and then labor as drudgery and what we 
you know, sell, yeah. right? Like our, what we sell to the man. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you and I are lucky in that we get to sell the stuff that's actually really fulfilling. Yes. That is, but it's still work. You're still oh, no, pushing. It's absolutely work. Still, yes. No, no, no. I, I, you're still pushing that rock. Yeah. It's <laughs> work, but it's, but, but let me put it this way. I, and I always like to, my brother who retired at the age of 50 because he worked in the finance sector for uh, a long time. I saw the hours he put in. That's what I should have done. I saw the hours he put in and the fact that he didn't really, I think, enjoy his job very much. And I do not begrudge the fact that he was able to retire at 50. And I think, you know, he has always admired the fact that I kind of like what I do. And so, you know, like I weirdly, I value that. And I'm glad he's able to live his life as he does now. I don't mind teaching and writing for longer. But you're right. It is. It's not it's not not work. It's just that it's a little more enjoyable to to spend your days doing it. Yeah, and I get to talk to you. Yeah, so that makes it all worthwhile, Dan. Anna. Dan, you have invented a new category, <laughs> a new section. I've, it's not. Hopefully, it will not be a long section for the podcast, but it's a small one. Yes, I call it cleanup. Basically, every time we record this podcast, Anna, I'm sure there there might be the small mistake we make, or there's the the thing we should have talked about that we failed to talk Us? about. I know, I know. We're not perfect is what I'm saying. So this covers what we, you know, cleaning up what we failed to discuss in our previous episode. So our previous episode. Well, anyway, so this is like after the debris field has fallen, someone's coming up with a broom. Exactly. Yep. They're there. Broom sound effects are really And they're doing the work is what I'm saying. They're definitely working. (laughs) Okay. Not a huge deal, but like I did not know this, but I was actually stunned to realize after the original Meg, like, you know, we, we talked a little bit, but were they sh- was it really the right move to cast Statham? As it turns out, it really was because Jason Statham was a diver for the British national team. There is YouTube video of him back in 1990 diving like, you know, in an Olympic level competition. I don't think he meddled in any way whatsoever. He still looked ripped as fuck. But, you know, just like you can see why they would really? cast him in a water movie. He's he's OK in the water. In a water movie. Yeah. I think he was also a swimmer, just not as highly ranked. OK. But yes, thank you, Dan, yes. for for bringing up that thirst trap <laughs> that has to do with Jason Statham and water. Ha ha ha. I don't feel like I have any cleanup. I mean, I have, oh, I mean, mistakes. If we, I'm, I'm glad we're limiting cleanup to just the last episode. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we did the whole thing. That would, that would take forever. No, just if, if we miss something from the last episode. Well, you know what? Actually, this is also a good chance for us to mention the Discord because perhaps if people want to help out with our cleanup. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. And it, it'd be like a postscript to Discord notes. Like if you didn't get a chance to give us a question about the current thing and you have something to point out about the last thing, I will say that happens a lot with our Star Wars and Star Trek episodes. It does. <laughs> it does. And I'm appreciative of it. So like, yes, if, you know, the, for for you know, for patrons who are on the discord, if we miss something in this episode, please let us know. We will mention it in the cleanup in the next episode. And in case you were wondering, well, how can you become a patron? All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash space, the nation, you know, for as little as $3 a month, you'll become a patron. You've got early access to the podcast. You'll get access to our monthly AUAs. You will get access to our newsletter. 
And most important, you will get access to the Discord, which is a lovely, lively space in which lots of people talk about things, including what they're currently enjoying. They talk about the episodes. And, you know, occasionally we'll ask... Yeah, we have some. We have a adorables channel, yeah. and we have a music channel. We have like a lot of different conversations. I think there's even going. a sports Dan, channel. Yeah. A, there is sports yeah, ball. Yeah. Dan sometimes swings by, just you know, <laughs> gives us a little FaceTime, as it were, and then retreats back <laughs> to wherever it is he goes. Whereas Anna is the more us. Anna is the more stay-at-home mom when it comes to the Discord. That's that's, yeah. that's good. Yes, that's good. taking care of it. Other ways people can reach us. Uh, we are on social media. Mm-hmm. You and I both have passed the velvet rope into blue sky. Oh yes, yes, yes. I have to say, I kind of like the vibe there. It's it's pretty good. I hope they start opening it up a it's little like larger. Like early Twitter, it really yeah. is. We are both on Mastodon. You, I believe, Anna, are on Instagram. I am on Instagram, and you should follow me on Instagram for announcements about my writing workshops. One will be coming in September for the fall. Mm -hmm. I'm also doing a New Year's Eve writing retreat that is not just for sober people, but with the idea that, you know, if New Year's Eve is something that Uh, you no longer have interest in, mm -hmm. perhaps you would like to come on this retreat and instead of partying, do some like reflecting and writing and thinking about the next year, you can find a about that you can find about that you can find all about that wait i'm not i'm find teach out about that i teach writing yeah but you don't teach speaking can, Anna. i mean you know those are two, find, two different skill sets you can find out all about those things mm-hmm. on the instagram page and also even more important there are videos of my little critter Aww. family yes and dan I sent you the latest one. Uh, listeners, she did send me the little one, the latest one. The latest one was adorable. I mean, it'll be a couple of weeks old by the time you hear this, but it, it's yeah. it's really quite lovely. Yes. I have a little kitten who has a lot of affection for my big 50 pound dog and they are just incredibly cute together. So mm-hmm. anything else? I, you know, I'm a writer. I, oh, TNR, NBC. Mm-hmm. You've got Politico? I occasionally write for Politico. I occasionally write for foreign policy. I am, I'm on Substack at Dresner's World. I write about foreign policy. I'm not racist. That's important. <laughs> Are we just doing that as like disclaimers these I days? think it's worth saying, like, you know, like I want to say I'm kind of an interesting centrist. And unfortunately, you say that nowadays, Anna, the implication is, oh, and by interesting centrist, you mean you have very race conscious views. I don't. At least I don't think I do. I would I say that to. the way this world has shifted, Dan, I'm not sure if you're a centrist. That anymore. unfortunately might be the case, which is just depressing. I know you really liked being a centrist. I did, Anna. I really like, did. That was really cool. It was for my you, thing. And- <laughs> it was. It's what it's what the distant dads do, Anna. <laughs> That's true. But no, unfortunately, like I looked to the center, I was like, oh no, if that's the center, get me over to the left more. Jesus. <laughs> and we welcome you. Oh, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, You're welcome here. We welcome we it, you can identify as anything you want Aww. except a centrist. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I think that's about it. Until next time. Keep this channel open for more. <laughs>